You know, it is such a privilege, such a privilege to be alive in this new year and to have the opportunity and the responsibility of opening up God's Word in order to teach God's people, speaking His message to His people. You know, in recent years, the church has been under attack from enemies without and critics within. And I believe one of the greatest needs of every believer is to have a better understanding of what our Lord's plan and His purpose is for His church. Paul explained it this way in Colossians 1, verse 24 through 29. He says this, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake... For in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I may fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, Jesus spent his early years as a carpenter, building furniture, building homes. And by engaging in this type of work, he affirmed God's approval of everything that contributes to wholesome personal and family living. Now towards the end of his earthly ministry, of seeking to bring the will of God into people's lives, Jesus verbalized his determination for the purpose of the church. I love this. Because he, he said that he desired to build his church. Look at Matthew 16, 18. Jesus puts it this way in this one verse. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You know, it might be good at this point to pause and to think a little bit about what is meant by this thing that Jesus calls the church. The church. You know, the Greek word there that is translated church is one that you might be familiar with. It's the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. And the word from which we draw our English word ecclesiastical. Ekklesia. It's a compound word. It's formed by putting two smaller words together. The root word being the passive form of the word kaleo, which means to call or to summon. And the, the, the previous part of that, the preposition, is ek, which means out of, 
So it means to call out of. It's an assembly of called out people. Is the ecclesia. Assembly. An assembly of called out people. See the word ecclesia in the New Testament. For any kind of a. Is used for any kind of official assembly of called out individuals. In Acts 19. For example the city clerk. In the ancient city of Ephesus had to rebuke a huge mob that had gathered in protest against the preaching of the gospel, telling them that their inquiries should be made in the lawful ecclesia. That is, in the official assembly of individuals called out for that particular purpose. We might put this in common terms for us of saying, we're going to have a special called business meeting. Okay? We understand what that means. It's called out for a specific purpose. And that's the the, the use of the word in the New Testament. Over in Acts chapter 7 verse 38, there's a vast gathering of, it talks about the gathering of the Jewish people who were delivered out of bondage and they were in the wilderness and it calls them the ecclesia in the wilderness. Those that were being called out. Uh, the, the assembly of, of people that God had called out of bondage unto himself. The ecclesia in the wilderness. You see, Jesus is the first person to ever use the word ecclesia to describe the assembly of his redeemed followers. And our verse this morning in Matthew 16 is the first time in the Bible that Jesus uses the word church The word ecclesia, those who are called out. He did not think of his church as a building. He did not think of his church as a building in the sense of it being a structure at a particular address. Nowhere in the Bible is the word ecclesia ever used to refer to a building. It's always used in reference to people. And the structures that are often identified as churches today are really only the meeting places of the church. We are the church. See, Jesus began the construction of his body with believers from the beginning of his ministry. And Jesus thought of the church as a body of believers. A body of born-again, baptized believers. And in order for us to become members of the true church of the risen Lord... We have to be born again. We must be born again. We are the people. And we are born into the fellowship and the communion of the people of God. You see, we are by volition, by our will, by our choice, by His choice, by repentance and by acceptance, by faith, we are added to the body of Christ, the church. See, everyone that's a member of his church is a member of his church because of their personal experience with the Lord. This is important and this is huge. Like Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, we must have a confrontation with God. We must have a confrontation with the Lord. A place, a time where we have given ourselves, we have literally surrendered, given ourselves over to the Lord. This is important. 
Because it is only then that we become a Christian. Once we have acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord. Not because of our parents. Not because we were born in the United States. Not because we live in Texas. Not because we grew up in a church building. Does that make us a Christian? It is because we've had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. We become a Christian when we have that experience that acknowledges Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. That means we surrender our lives to Him. And it's on the basis of that commitment. It's on the basis of saying, Lord Jesus, you're the boss of all that I am and of all that I desire to be. Lord Jesus, I surrender all that I am to you. It's on the basis of that commitment that we become a Christian, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. See, we are a what I would call a regenerate church membership. We've been reborn. We've been born again. See, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples on the day of Pentecost was God's way of authenticating them, of validating them as the church that Jesus would continue building and through whom he would carry his redemptive work throughout the world in. The Holy Spirit today continues to live in the hearts of believers And it's through us that he continues to build his church in quantity, quality, size, and accomplishing his redemptive work around the world. See, in our text, Jesus says, I, I will build my church. See, Christ declares that it's his church. And he will be the one doing the construction. The church was not hatched out of an idea that humanity needed a place to congregate. Or that we would come to a place to get motivated. Or that we would feel good about ourselves. And then remain reclusive from the world. You see, Jesus builds his church through the evangelistic activities of his disciples. Through his disciples going out and telling others the good things that the Lord has done for you. Brothers and sisters, it's not the pastor's job. It's all of our jobs. To go tell what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because we've had a personal encounter with him. And it is through those evangelistic activities that that Jesus builds his church. See, the Great Commission has application for every one of us as Jesus' disciples. See, we got to guard against putting that and projecting that onto our ministers and saying, well, it's their job to tell those about Jesus. It's their job to do that. Or maybe we say, well, it's just the the missionary's job. The international missionaries that are out uh, away from this body. It's their job to tell people about Jesus. You see, when you share with unbelievers the things that Christ has done in your life, 
about God's gracious work in you. The gift of faith is given to others. And each of us, as we share the gospel, the good news with others, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is at work building his church. See, he builds his church through the missionary activity of congregations. I mean, we ought to have, as a church, we ought to have a heart big enough to hold the whole world in it. And a lot of times we give to international missions, and we look at it as that's what we're doing. We're giving to international missions, and so they're going to carry on the evangelistic opportunity. But just because we give an offering for international missions does not absolve us of the responsibility to tell our local community, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers about who Jesus is. We still have a responsibility to do that. And just because we do that here does not mean that we can neglect what's, what's going on on the other side of the globe. It's not either or. It's both and. We have to be intentional about both of those. Sharing the gospel here and seeing the gospel shared around there. Over there. See, Jesus builds up his church also from within. We must become the household of faith, the body of Christ. You know, in writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Paul urges the disciples in Corinth to strive to excel in building up the church. In Paul's letters to the Ephesians, he speaks about the gifts the Holy Spirit has been bestowed upon the church for, and this is what he says, In verse 12, he says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit has given gifts to the body so that we might build up the body of Christ. Verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Wow. You see, Jesus wants his church to be a teaching hospital in Christian discipleship. To be able to be built up, to be able to be encouraged, to be able so that, so that he can present us complete as a complete person, as a mature individual in Christ. That's his goal for us. So that we would all attain to the unity of that body. See, the Sermon on the Mount was in reality more like a classroom lecture from Jesus, our Lord, to his disciples. I mean, they sat before him and he taught them rather than preaching to them. The word disciple itself means learner or follower. See, the new birth is only the beginning. It's the start. I've said before and I'll say it again. When we are born again, it's like giving birth to a baby. And then we need to grow up. 
And Christian discipleship, being a follower, is like raising that child. You would not think about having a baby and just leaving it there and not feeding it and not nurturing it and not helping it to grow. But that's what we do to many new believers. But you see, that's our job, is to help others to to grow in the Lord, to help them to know what it means to follow Christ, to what it it means to, to have a prayer life, what it means to be a part of his body. Well, Brother Ridge, you know, all of my family has prayed to receive Christ, so we're good. No, you're not. You have a responsibility to grow up in the Lord. And I think that's huge. We need some mature believers to help lead and train others. See, but to grow up in Christ... We need to follow the example of the early church. It says there in Acts 2, verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, Jesus builds his church when we meet together. When we meet together to study his word, he grows us within, but also when we put his teachings into practice. Oh, how we need that. We, we, we hear, we read, we study ad nauseum. We're educated beyond our level of obedience. What he wants us to do is to put it into practice, to live it out. But oh no, you know what we want? Pastor, what's the next study we're going to do? Why don't we do the one we just did until we begin to practice it? You know, to begin to, 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 to know what we're supposed to do and put it into practice? I mean, he grows his church that way when we meet together and study God's word. And then when we put it into practice, he grows his church. I want to pull the truck over and park for just a moment, if I might. I want to park for a whole minute. You know, the great author of Hebrews, he wrote in the 10th chapter of that book, he said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. See, as the church, as the body of Christ, we gather together on the Lord's day. And we assemble in praise, we assemble in prayer, we assemble in worship. And it's a sweet, sweet, precious time. Hearing God's people sing the praises of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. On the first day of the week, the disciples gathered to break bread together. On the first day of the week... The Lord Jesus appeared to his disciples, raised from among the dead. Oh, what a, what a wonderful day that is. The day when Jesus shows up after being crucified. Can you imagine the disciples? He's here. He's with us. You know, at the beginning, I would imagine every Sunday was an Easter Sunday. 
They gathered together in praise and worship of the Lord. On Sunday, the first day of the week, they set aside for the Lord a gift according to how God had prospered them. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 tells us that. On the first day of the week, on Sunday, bringing to God's house a portion of what God has blessed them with. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? We, we act appalled if we are challenged to tithe. We are so blessed. We're blessed beyond all of the people of the world. We are blessed. But it's mine, preacher. Back off. That's the way we act. You know, we lay out of church for a while. He says they're forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And when we do that, we rob God of his tithes and offerings by consuming those offerings on our own lust. It's no wonder God doesn't want to bless us like he would like to bless us. I mean, we're dishonoring him. We're dishonoring him and then expecting him to honor us. The tithe is holy. And it belongs to the Lord. Is it any wonder why we have no concept of evangelization of our city? Of our state or even of our nation? Oh, we're willing to to sign up and to sign just about anything, but we do absolutely nothing about it. If we do anything, if we actually put it into practice, it's usually half-hearted. We're not all in, and we know it. We're not reaching our city for Jesus, and what we're doing is not enough. See, we see the need. We recognize that what our city needs is Jesus. But we're not acting upon it. We're not doing anything. We're piddling. We're dawdling. We're toying with it. I mean, if we were really serious about reaching this city and reaching the next generation for Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have one youth minister. We'd have five. Some paid, some volunteer. We'd have eight (laughs) college and young adult ministers, some paid, some volunteer. If we were serious about reaching the next generation for Christ, we'd also have an army of folks who are willing to live it out and to share their faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, that we would keep the church vibrant and alive for you vibrant and alive not crawling and half dead Lord make us to shine for Jesus may there be in the hearts of our people a 
a wonderful consecration, a setting apart, a calling out to respond like this. Here I am, Lord. On the first day of the week, here's the portion that, that you've given me. And, and, and I'll start with a tenth and ask God if he would just bless that and break it and use it for his glory. But sometimes we come to church if we don't have anything better to do, if we don't have anything more fun to do, if the weather's too cold, we're not going. If it's raining out, we're not going. If it's a beautiful day, we're certainly not going. And you know what? We rob God every time we don't go. Because most of the time, we don't send our tithe. We keep it. And that, brothers and sisters, is on us. He's already blessed us. I must keep moving as I begin to wrap this up. So the truck is now moving again. See, Jesus wants his church to be a fellowship of spiritual brothers and sisters. I mean, the thought of the miracle of the new birth. You've been born in to the family of God. You are one of his children. And we become brothers and sisters. And the Apostle Paul speaks of the church as the household of faith. See, the early fellowship of the disciples, it was a source of great enrichment for their spiritual well-being. They weren't isolated, solitary believers. They were a family in which love and compassion and unselfishness was the rule of the day. I would say to you this morning that Jesus wants his church to be reverent and worshipful. In Acts 2, 43, it says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. A sense of awe. When was the last time you felt a sense of awe about Jesus? When was the last time you fell to your knees before the Lord Jesus? See, we come together as a crowd of people, but reverence for the presence of Christ causes that crowd to become a congregation of worshipers. See, Christ is present every time his disciples meet together in his name. And we need more of the reverence that we find of Simon Peter that filled his heart when he was before Jesus. And when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, Peter had the feeling of unworthiness because of his close contact with Christ. Recognition of our own sinfulness along with our response to a holy God, would cause us to be more reverent and more worshipful. I give you two more quick notes. Jesus builds his church when the disciples give themselves devotedly to prayer. Prayer is the power source. little secret there. A prayerless church is a powerless church. 
A prayerless disciple is a powerless disciple. I'm not talking about saying grace and thanking God for what he has given you to eat. I'm talking about getting on your face before the Lord and crying out and pouring out your heart to him about those things in, in your life that are not right, about the relationships and the problems that we have with them, and about the conditions of, of people's souls, the souls of men and women, of sons and daughters. Because he builds his church through our prayer time with him. See, Jesus builds his church when the disciples recognize and respond to the Holy Spirit's leadership. The Holy Spirit came to indwell the church on the day of Pentecost. And he will remain in the church until our Lord returns to claim his bride. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, our guide, our helper. He lives within us. <laughs> but when believers neglect or refuse to recognize the Holy Spirit's leadership in their life. The work of Christ and the growth of the church come to a standstill. We have to respond when the Holy Spirit leads us. When the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, Ridge, you need to go talk to that person. You need to share your testimony with them. Then go do it. That's recognizing and responding to the Holy Spirit's leadership. See, we know. We know what's wrong in our life. We simply choose not to fix it. You see, Jesus is at work in our midst. If we have eyes to see him and ears to hear him, we'll be in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing. He comes to meet with us. He comes to speak to us. He comes to correct us, to commission us, and to encourage us. You see, we are the church that Christ is building. We are the church that he is building. Now, if you're not yet one of his disciples, all I can tell you is to open the door of your life and let Jesus come in and be your Lord and Savior. That's our purpose. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let him have command of your life. Let him be your teacher. Let him be your guide. Let him be your helper. But you need to do that today. And we live in a crazy world. And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the reality is, I don't know if you've seen the obituaries lately, but they're full of people that are passing from this life into eternity. And the commodity in this life is time. It's usually not about money. It's usually about time. And the problem is, is we don't know 
just how much time we have left. And I would submit to you this morning that you have less than you think you do. Probably more like this. <laughs>